Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter 22. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? but I am among you as one who serves. In the living of these words, we are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Glory be to God. From one of the 20th century's great theologians, this story. On the faraway island of Salamisan, Yertle the turtle was king of the pond. A nice little pond. It was clean, it was neat. The water was warm, there was plenty to eat. The turtles had everything turtles might need, and they were all happy, quite happy indeed. They were, until Yertle, the king of them all, decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. So Yertle the turtle king lifted his hand, and Yertle the turtle king gave a command. He ordered nine turtles to swim to his stone. And using these turtles, he built a new throne. He made each turtle stand on another one's back, and he piled them all in a nine-turtle stack. Then Yertle climbed up. He sat down on the pile. What a wonderful view! He could see most a mile. All mine, Yertle cried. Oh, the things I now rule. I'm king of a cow. I'm king of a mule. I'm king of a house, and what's more beyond that, I'm king of a blueberry bush and the cat. I'm Yertle the turtle, oh marvelous me, for I am ruler of all that I see. That, of course, was Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss. As his story continues, Yertle decides that his perch is not high enough. So he orders more turtles, at least 200 more. And now his throne allows him to see 40 miles. Still not enough. More turtles. He needs 5,607, he says, stacked all the way up to heaven. I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler alert. But it all comes crashing down, of course, when a turtle named Mac who is at the bottom of the stack and who is bearing the brunt of the suffering, decides he's had enough. He burps, which shakes up Yertle's throne and tosses the turtle king off into the water, leaving him king of the mud. One of the reasons to love the Bible every bit as much and more than Dr. Seuss is the way it paints such a ruthlessly honest picture 
of who we are and how we act. Our scripture today has the disciples in a dispute. They were arguing about who could be Yertle, who could be the greatest. I am, said Peter. Jesus even said that on this rock I will build the church. Of course, Peter's brother, Andrew, in typical younger brother style, was quick to point out that being the rock puts him at the bottom of the church, not at the top. And you can hear John assert himself into the fray saying, yeah, but I'm Jesus' beloved disciple, and I'm going to write a gospel that tells everyone just that. At which point, Matthew might have joined the melee saying, my gospel is going to be the first in the Bible, and yours will be the last. Na-na-na-na-na-na. And James would have thundered, but I'll be the bishop, the bishop of this city, Jerusalem, the best city in the world. Of course, Judas was probably too busy counting his money, or I mean, the money he kept for them all, and Thomas would have doubted them all. And I'm fairly sure Bartholomew had nothing he needed to say, secure as he was, and knowing that he was already the greatest. And it is good to be great. Everyone tells us so. We're the greatest country on earth. We're the greatest generation. Our favorite athlete is a goat, the greatest of all time. Maybe you even have a mug that says you're the world's greatest parent or teacher or friend. Or a bumper sticker that you've gotten birthday cards that tell you so. For the last nine years, I've had no qualms whatsoever about telling my colleagues that I get to pastor the best church in the conference. Nana, nana, nana. We want to think that everyone and Everything with which we're associated is the greatest because, by extension, that makes us. Up until this year, I could say the Cardinals are the best team in baseball and Alabama the best team in college football. And I wanted to say that St. Louis City SC was going to be the best. And I'm pretty sure that this year, Mac the Turtle burped and ruined it all. To be the greatest is what we're taught to be. To be the top of our class in school, the greatest athlete, to have the best paying job, the best spouse in the world, the best children in the world, the best grandchildren in the world. Sorry, friends, that's my grandchild. Even religion is not immune from this dispute that arose among the disciples. Recently, at Schnucks, I encountered a guy wearing a t-shirt that said, Jesus hearts you. He then turned around and it said, but I'm his favorite. Don't Christians regularly pride ourselves in being better than non-Christians? Protestants are better than Catholics, and Methodists are surely better than Baptists. What happens 
when we slip into the sin of the sideways glance, what happens when we go from good to greater? Not just greater than we already are, but greater than someone else at the sake of someone else. The noted rabbi and psychologist Abraham Tversky once said, humans have five basic needs. Food, water, clothing, shelter, and someone to blame. He's being funny, but not completely. As long as we can point to someone or some group to blame or fear, someone whom we can deem lesser, we can feel greater. I said that even religion is not immune from the dispute that arose among the disciples. There is a particularly pernicious piece of modern fundamentalism that doesn't need a God to believe in so much as it needs a devil to oppose. As long as we can point to someone or some group to blame or to fear, someone whom we can deem lesser, then we can feel greater. Racisms are rooted in this dispute. So are homophobias and so are nationalisms, even and especially Christian nationalism. This might be important to say in this month leading up to Thanksgiving. As long as we think of ourselves as the greatest, we give ourselves permission to look down on someone else, buying ourselves out of the need to look within. Being good is great. Being greater than we were, fantastic. Needing to be greater than someone else becomes a sin. And while the disciples were having their narcissistic wrestling match, there's always another player in the conversation. Now, whenever you read the Bible, you always have to read the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, seeing the ever-present empire in the background. The Egyptian empire, the Assyrian empire, the Babylonian empire, the Persian empire, the Greek empire, and the Roman empire. And I know that this is going to sound like advice ripped from the relevance of TikTok, but in reading the New Testament, we've got to think more about the Roman empire. So, while Peter and Andrew, James and John, Matthew and Judas and Thomas and Bartholomew were wrangling about who was the greatest, there always would have been Caesar sitting in the background saying, hold my beer. The empire, whether it's the Roman one, or the American one, will always be built on the need to be greater. It's what empires do. It's how they roll. 
to them, to the disciples, to us. Jesus says, hold on. Marcus Borg once quite provocatively said, you don't need to understand what it means that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. He said, you don't even need to believe that Jesus was fully human and divine. You need to be able to tell the difference between Jesus and Caesar. You need to be able to tell the difference between Jesus and Caesar. Can you? Jesus could. And so He says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus knows that real power, real greatness, is not exercised by people looking for what others can do for them. Real power comes when we look to see what we can do for others. Real power comes when we look to see what we can do for others. To do so means that if we are to grow, we have to bend low. To risk the arthritis in our knees and the spiritual arthritis of our hearts and get down, down to where we can serve. William Blake, the English mystic and artist, said that we must do it in minute particulars. It's in doing the small things that we serve. And we become small enough to really become great. Of such is the kingdom of God. What are some small things that you can do? Let's start there.